I hope I'm wrong, but something seems seriously wrong with the local coyotes. I couldn't sleep the other night, so I decided to go on a late-night drive. For context, I live in a very rural western state, and it's not uncommon for towns to be hours apart from each other. I decided to head towards the abandoned nuclear site that's about two hours out of my town. It's a nice, quiet drive, and you can drive out to the hills and see the stars in a way that isn't possible, even in a small town. The drive started normally enough. It was calm and quiet, pretty much exactly what I wanted to calm my mind and tire me out. About 30 miles out of town, my radio started making strange noises. Now I kept the volume low just because I was enjoying the quiet, but suddenly a roar of static and voices filled my cab. Now I drive an older truck, so things randomly going haywire isn't totally unusual. But I've never really heard of a radio suddenly gaining a life of its own and screaming to the world. The sudden blast of noise scared me, causing me to jerk the steering wheel. As I slid to the side of the road, I caught something out of the corner of my eye. There was a large figure off to the left-hand side of my truck. As my truck got closer, everything seemed to go in slow motion. The monstrous figure arched its back, letting out a scream unlike anything I'd ever heard before. Its legs were almost stilt-like, thin and tall, while gangly arms swung like pendulums as it bellowed again. What I assumed were its eyes flashed a piercing white as it craned its head towards me. I gripped the steering wheel even tighter as my truck veered into the barrel pit I had failed to see earlier in the dark. As if my luck could not get any worse, as I closed my eyes, I realized that the monster before me had been standing in the pit. I closed my eyes and waited for the crunching of my truck's grill as its shadow loomed over me. I sat there, bracing for the sound of crunching metal to echo through the empty roadway but it never came. Once the gravel quieted under my wheels, I opened my eyes. The ditch before me lay empty. There was no sign of the monstrosity I had seen just moments before. The truck was still running, and everything seemed fine. I had just started to relax and question my sanity when pained yipping slowly sounded from underneath my truck. I gathered what shaking resolve I had left along with a tire iron, and slowly got out of my truck. Using my phone as a flashlight, I carefully looked under my truck. Two white orbs peered back at me as I moved the light under the cab. I dropped my phone and jumped back as the pain cries intensified. I stood there, with my tire iron raised, waiting for whatever monster it was to crawl out and attack me. I stood there for what seemed like ages as the cries slowly quieted down. As I was grabbing my phone, I heard a small and very weak cough coming from under my truck. Feeling brave, I once again decided to look under the truck. And to my surprise, staring back at me was a small coyote pup. His eyes glimmered white as he turned to look at my light. My heart sank as I saw him cough weakly and try to stand, but to no avail. I don't know what came over me, but impulsively, I climbed in the cab of my truck 
and grabbed an old t-shirt from the floorboards. Without hesitation, I found myself crawling under the truck and through the sagebrush and gravel to save a tiny coyote who just minutes earlier managed to scare the ever-living shit out of me. The tiny creature stared at me, half terrified as I reached for him. He let out one last ear-piercing shriek as I set the shirt on him and pulled him out. He was alert, but his body felt limp in my arm. Terrified that I had broken his back, I quickly searched for the nearest wildlife vet on my phone. I set the coyote on the floor of the cab, and I looked at the options. There was a vet two hours away that specialized in wildlife care. But with a little more scrolling, I realized that there was a vet even closer. The search said that it would be four hours away taking the main roads, but having grown up in the area, I knew that there was a shortcut through the old nuclear site. The roads had long been abandoned, but they were drivable, especially in an old four-wheel drive. I looked down at the coyote as I climbed back in the driver's seat, and for a split second I wondered if this was really what I saw on the road. As another weak cough escaped his lips, I threw the truck in drive without a second thought. As the truck climbed out of the barrel pit, I noticed hundreds of white eyes watching us. Every time the truck moved and the light of the headlights shifted, it was as though new eyes just appeared. I've never known coyotes to be true pack animals, but I guess caring for the wounded is a cross-species experience. My engine roared as we neared the site and my new furry friend laid quiet as I scanned the roadside for the dirt trail that would lead us to our destination. The wind echoed through the abandoned buildings on either side of us as we sped through. Every now and then, in the window, I would catch the reflection of what looked to be a set of glowing eyes. But I reassured myself it was just my headlights. I could see the turnoff getting closer, and we nearly missed it as a bellowing screech echoed off the crumbling buildings. I hit the gas as I glanced in the rearview mirror. Behind us stood another one of the grotesque creatures I'd seen earlier. A spindly arm reached out and grabbed the tailgate of the truck, ripping it off one of its hinges. I took the turn far too fast, and the tiny coyote and I went bumbling through the brush and rocks off the trail. Fearing the creature was still behind us, I did my best to correct our course and get us back to the dirt road, but in the chaos I managed to lose all sense of direction. I could see the outline of the buildings behind us and the open range in front of us. The nuclear site was huge, and without getting closer, there was no way to tell where we actually were. No longer seeing any sign of the monster, I decided to stop the truck and get my bearings. If we tried to backtrack, we could have ended up right back in that creature's clutches. If we continued forward, we had the option of being lost in the desert, probably dying out there tried to decide what to do when I heard a strange popping coming from the passenger side of the truck. I flinched as I realized how hard the ride had to have been for the coyote. There was no way that off-roading was any sort of comfortable for him in the shape he was in. The strange popping noise happened again, and I looked down at my new friend. I was horrified as I watched his tiny body writhe and pop 
The joints that were once limp seemed to snap into place, and it looked as though they were elongating as I stared in abject horror. I didn't have any time to process what was happening because demonic howls and white eyes seemed to surround the truck. Without a second thought, I threw the truck into gear and barreled deeper into the desert. Driving in no particular direction other than away, I noticed first suddenly filling the passenger seat. A deep grumbling whine filled the cab. By the time I looked back up, a boulder had filled the once empty space in front of the truck. I turned the wheel as hard as I could, somehow managing to avoid colliding head-on with the boulder, but still managing to lose my driver's side mirror in the process. Knowing we were heading straight back into the thick of the creatures, I slammed down on the gas. If they were going to get me, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. Slamming through sagebrush and rocks, I was shocked by the vast emptiness. There wasn't a single monster in sight. Instinctively, I drove in the direction I expected the road to be. The desert seemed silent, but for the hammering of my engine. By the time my tires hit the ruts of the dirt road, I had almost forgotten about the coyote riding with me. As I got back on the path, I slowed down to check on it. Not only had I hit a coyote, I just put him through a whirlwind of a truck ride that may or may not have been caused by a wild hallucination on my part. I pulled the truck to a stop as I saw the familiar, decrepit buildings alongside the roadside and looked down to them. When I did, I was shocked by what was on my floorboards. Fur, everywhere, and long limbs bent at unnatural angles. As my gaze wandered up, the radio roared to life once again, scaring me so badly I hit the gas almost instinctively. Without realizing what I had done, I looked up and saw two wild, white eyes staring and a large maw filled with saber-like teeth right in my face. As I screamed, it let out a hellish howl, loud enough to crack my windshield. I jerked the wheel and we managed to collide with a large cement building. My face slammed into the steering wheel as we crashed through the cement outer walls of the building. I could hear the creature's screeches as the truck continued on course, finally ending its journey when we slammed into a large metal box. I started drifting in and out of consciousness. The sound of the engine hummed on as I watched more of those monsters tearing the passenger door off. They bellowed as they drugged their companion out of the truck. When I awoke next, I was in a hospital room. There were police and doctors standing all around me, covered in lead panels and protective equipment. It was then that I learned at least part of the truth surrounding the site. The locals had always been told that the site was abandoned because of a lack of funding. According to the officer who was questioning me, that wasn't at all true. That nuclear site was the site of one of America's first nuclear meltdowns. Its only true nuclear disaster.
I guess back in the 60s, they were doing experiments with breeder reactors. Someone made a mistake, and the control rod was pulled too far out, throwing the reactor into full meltdown. Several people were killed, but given the nature of the experiment, the government quickly jumped in and started a cover-up. Their actions would later inspire how the Soviets addressed the Chernobyl meltdown. The reactor was quickly encased in a lead coffin and had a nondescript concrete building erected around it. The rest of the site was quickly abandoned, but was still monitored, which is, I guess, how they found me. No one can explain the coyote monsters I met with. The cops keep accusing me of trespassing in the buildings. They say I have radiation poisoning and that caused wild hallucinations, but... I know I didn't have contact with any of the buildings until I was faced with that creature in my truck. I managed to damage the lead coffin. Exposing myself to radiation levels our hospital had never seen before. I'm so very tired. But I felt like I had to write this down. It wouldn't shock me if this post disappears after I die or the government decides to cover it up. But I couldn't leave what happened to me unsaid. Don't trust coyotes, and never go near anything the government has abandoned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Penny Blood podcast. My name is Logan Reed, and what you just heard was There's Something Wrong with the Local Coyotes by Casey Warealien on reddit and my name is david snyder i am the voice actor who just performed there's something wrong with the local coyotes and once again thank you to user uh casey where alien for your story now logan for every episode that we do of course we want to start the banter session the conversation session with a discussion about where this fits in with penny bloods uh, how does this qualify as one? Yeah, we are reading stories that we think represent the new era of that form of entertainment that was so popular a hundred years ago or so. And yeah, give or take. So what stuck out to, to me in this story particular, as far as it relates to Penny Bloods, is it has the character that penny bloods would have um in this case it's some sort of coyote thing penny bloods uh some of the most popular characters of early penny bloods were guys like sweeney todd there was a vampire penny blood series varney the vampire and there there's others and it's going to be my goal to actually find some of those original penny bloods that we could also read on this podcast but the main goal is finding newer stories being written by creators out there using the sites like reddit to post this new content, which is free entertainment for people and has these characters like this werewolf thing that sticks out as a sort of creature feature. So, so getting more specific about this story, I really enjoyed the story for a few reasons. I thought it had good pacing because it felt exciting to read it. It's a, it's a pretty short read, but the whole time there's movement in the story and the movement isn't spurred by 
irrational decisions for the most part. I actually felt like, uh, you know, so many times, like we were talking about horror movies earlier, and so many times you're watching a horror movie and you're like screaming at the guy like, Don't go in there, the killer's waiting for you. Don't run upstairs, what are you doing? But I, I didn't find myself fighting with this guy so much. Um, like right off the bat, I could relate to this protagonist because he can't sleep. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's me. Uh, probably three nights out of the week at least. Uh, just I'm, I'm up till one, two or three in the morning and I can't sleep. And so like you were talking about those open spaces uh, that we have out in places like this where we live. And it sounds like the story was written by somebody who's familiar with that because we could potentially just hop into our car and in uh, less than half an hour, we could be in the middle of the desert from where we live. Of course, of course. And and uh, here, here's another thing that uh, I do notice that uh, people who move here, people who visit here, uh, friends, family members who I've talked to uh, who come from big cities, they always... They always say, wow, there is just so much wildlife out here. And it's just all over the place. You're just driving and you nearly hit a coyote. And I think, yeah, that's, that is definitely here. That is definitely here. Um, and it is possible to, uh, you know, if you're not paying attention, you might actually hit a, uh, an animal. And if you do, chances are, yeah, you are going to stop and, and see if it's, if it's okay or, or what have you. Oh, well, we, we can, I think we can save it. I think we can save it. If we just take it to a vet, we can, we can, you know, get, get an old shirt, old rag, whatever. I don't care. Just, just wrap it up and, and take it to the vet. Maybe first decision that I don't necessarily relate to, but everything else, the atmosphere, the not sleeping, the deciding to go for a drive, the hitting of an animal, the feeling bad about it. So right up into the point where he like crawls under his truck and this guy decides to get this thing. I, I'm with him up until then. But even then, so he gets the pup, puts it in his vehicle, continuing. It's good. Um, I like the atmosphere that it builds up. I like how this guy's a local because he knows like yeah. better than the GPS. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know these, these shortcuts. And specifically for this power plant in particular, what I'm thinking now is that if we were to, to expand out this guy's life, what we've been presented is just this one event, sure. But if we were to go back, rewind time to when he was in high school or something like that with his friends, chances are this is probably a pretty like common area that they like to frequent and want. Maybe they don't go near that big cement structure. Fine. But everywhere around there, this guy seems to know where you know, oh, this is where this road goes. This is where I am in relation to these buildings, et cetera, et cetera. And so again, for, for you know, it, as, as horror stories do tend to, to have right at the beginning or near the beginning, is I have this thing that is slightly weird and maybe catches the, uh, the audience or at the very least catches the main character characters off guard and this kind of identifies this story. This the, everything that happens afterward is is the actual supernatural event. Uh, if if I am to uh, to reference a different story, a Christmas Carol. Right when 
Marley's face appears on the door knocker. That is that is exactly the moment when things get okay. So now we've just gone from the real world into this weird world. And yeah. that's something that I noticed that all horror movies do. Uh, and so where's that transition in this story? I would say right when he first sees the creature. Right when he first sees the creature, and uh, uh, but at the same time, may- maybe not, maybe not. Maybe it is just the radio, because he does notice that, oh, there's something wrong with, with the radio, and this is an old truck, this is a beat-up radio, but it's never done that before. So maybe that's the moment, and then maybe the, uh, the sighting is just, okay, so yeah, like, if, if you didn't get it before, we are totally in the weird world now. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good observation. So you were talking about the location that he's driving through, and it of reminded course. me of that place in Casa Grande where there's those cement domes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you yeah, were talking yeah. about how, yeah. like, the way that the story's written, it sounds like this guy has been here before. Like, it's a place that maybe they frequented and they hung out. And he even says later in the story how he sees up ahead the familiar buildings, right? So they're familiar to him. And instantly, I just thought of those big cement domes in Casa Grande. Definitely. They were always like a place where the teenagers or just people who didn't want to be seen yeah. would go hang out. And there was always graffiti there and stuff. Yeah. Um, although I think uh, fairly recently that sort of activity has stopped because the actual structure of building a cement dome, uh-huh. unless maintained, yeah does start to fall and last time i was there large portions of the top of the dome have actually started to fall off of like the rebar structure holding them up and like shattering down on the foundation so that does make sense there are parts of the dome and like plasters and stuff that are just falling uh there of course course. but i don't know you know it but it is one of those sites because uh you know i've i've even gone as far as to look up the domes on the internet you can find those domes on the internet yeah yeah. and i don't know what they were for and there's like yeah i mean i'm sure that like there's an internet sleuth who hey listeners if you want to go find it the casa grand domes like solve it for me i didn't do that much research but uh yeah but like they haven't been owned by anybody in a while that that was the part of the research that i was able to find is that like yeah the the ownership of them kind of falls into question and uh and i feel like that's a very similar place to this cement building that this guy drives out to he knows these roads and he's like i know the back roads but also doesn't really go in his favor does it like maybe if he had just followed the gps this wouldn't have gone differently well i mean like hey who knows maybe if you'd follow the gps it would lead him directly to the creatures (laughs) <laughs> I look, I got to be honest, th- these creatures were absolutely fantastic. I, I love them very, very much, uh, especially with the elongated bones, popping joints, uh, the fur that just appears and starts spreading all over the seat. That is absolutely fantastic. I, I love that. I love that. So the word that came uh, to mind for me when the creatures were getting described was skinwalker. Oh, of course. Which, which again is a uh, legend local to an, an area that it sounds like is being written about and an area yeah. similar to where we are. Yeah. And, and really anywhere in Southwest United States. Yes. Yes. You're, you're yes. going to have stories about skinwalker. And 
even in the southwest United States, you have Skinwalker Ranch, which is just oh, of course, internet uh, famous at this point, notorious. But um, but yeah, that's what I thought of. What so so even before he's out of his truck and picking up the puppy, he's he's describing this thing that he sees in his headlights, and it's this tall, shaggy, long armed thing. Yes, and it it was that sentence where I was like, oh, these this is a Skinwalker, and this is a Skinwalker story, and I love it. I love these. Yeah. But but I was wrong. Technically, like by the end of the story, it becomes pretty clear to me that they're not exactly skinwalkers, but I think at least the inspiration is there and it's awesome. It's it's yeah. awesome. I love a creature that fits its environment and these things yeah. like they fit their environment. But but yeah, coyotes specifically are uh often related to the skinwalker legend. And so the Yeah. the 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 witches and the and the shaman um would take on the skins of coyotes and and it would allow them to you know transform that that was kind of what what they did and so skinwalker ranch uh, specifically uh i know that you just mentioned that that one of the first notorious events that happened with the uh with the uh, the family in question that was that, mm-hmm. that originally brought it up um, that's what they said was one of the first encounters that they had yeah. was with a giant, I think they said wolf yeah, or coyote. Bipedal, yeah, bipedal dog man. Thing. It's, it's yeah. true. Yeah. And it was, it was very huge. It, it was, it was very imposing and they were terrified of course. And the guy shot at it. Multiple times. Yeah. Multiple times. <laughs> that's a great. And it didn't even notice. It didn't even no. notice. It just kept on going. You know, no, no chill. <laughs> no, sorry. No, all chill. All, all chill. <laughs> all chill. All chill and just kept on walking. Um, no, I, I, th- I think uh, personally, I don't really know too much about that particular cryptid. But I would say that personally, that it's, it's probably close enough, near enough as makes no difference. I would say that it's it's some kind of shapeshifter. That 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 much is definitely abundantly clear. Yeah, yeah. Which also is just a great creature. Like you know, I, I understand that uh, nowadays it is a, a another trope that tons of people love to go for for shapeshifters. Oh, I don't really know what to go for. Just go with a shapeshifter. It's fine. I get that it can get old. And it can get just kind of gimmicky and tropey and kind of, therefore, boring. I understand. But in this story, I do think that it, it fit well and also it, you know, sufficiently freaked out the guy. Was he just uh, sane up until the moment that he hit the, the concrete barrier and got exposed to all this radiation? Was Is he making it up knowing that he was making it up? Or was he just really tired? Hallucinated a bit? Maybe he did actually hit a, a coyote pup, and hey, who knows? Uh, uh, maybe it just escaped when he hit the uh, the concrete barrier, and so maybe it could be a mix of a bunch of you know naturally occurring, but in his mind, very supernatural events. Who knows? It's one of the things that I like at the end of the story when he's in the hospital and the cops are talking to him, and I like that you just have exposition cop at the end. Who's just like, hey, you weren't supposed to be there. And 
and and it looks like you're real beat up and you got radiation sickness and so here's the whole history of that place like, exactly <laughs> here's the whole history not just of the of that place but like <laughs> that, that that everybody knows because undoubtedly everybody probably knows you know something some rumors and whatnot but he says all right i'm gonna tell you what the government doesn't want you to know yeah and i'm thinking okay so like this this cop is just saying everything that's going to get him fired. <laughs> and I want to say this. I want to say this real quick. We're going to like laugh sometimes, but uh, we're by no means like poking fun. We're not we're not malicious or, or mean. We are like we're going to laugh and have a good time. But but yeah, there, there, there's always like a silly part of the horror story where oh, you, yeah. you've got exposition man or woman who comes in and. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in this case, we have exposition cop who comes in and uh, tells this guy what's what. And my, I like the comment that um, we beat Russia to a meltdown. We beat you to the moon. Hey, there we go. We, we beat you yeah. to a melt. You know, yeah. really, we set the precedent for what you're going to do oh, during absolutely. Chernobyl. Absolutely. The, the Soviets wouldn't have known what to do at Chernobyl if it weren't for our example of coyote bunker. Dude, absolutely. No, it's true. And and also, I really enjoy that um, apparently we did tell them how to do their cover up. Right. Um, even though we were mortal enemies and we were still just like, hey, did something happen at Chernobyl? And the Soviets kept on saying, no, no. What are you talking about? Americanski? No, absolutely not. And then we just kept on saying, oh, well, but if you did, we don't know if you did, but if you did. This is what we did when we had a nuclear meltdown. And <laughs> try, try lead. Try, try lead and yeah, exactly. cement. And, yeah. No, oh my I, um, goodness. But what I was going to say is towards the end of the story, it's the one thing. So you've got, you've got the cop who comes in and he's in the hospital and all this kind of stuff. And you're kind of left like, you know, nobody believes him. Yeah. And he's like, but I know what I saw. And I feel like the one piece of evidence that would have been, I, I think the author left it ambiguous on purpose. But like, if we just could have known what happened to the guy's truck, you know, sure, like, what was what, in his truck, right? Because he talks about how there there was uh, a guy who rips off part of his tailgate. Yes, right? like was the tailgate actually ripped off? So, and, and then it could still be a little ambiguous because they just argue that that happened in the crash, right? Well, yeah. hey, you're off road and you hit a building. Like, of course yeah. you, you know, you're you're missing your rear view mirror on one side, and yeah, you crunched yeah. your truck up. But he would know, like, if he could go look back at his tailgate, like, oh, yeah, there's there's a handprint here or whatever. Well, of course, what I would really enjoy or is, is there is, fur. Is there fur left? The fur. Yeah. That's it. That, that and I would really like for there to be some kind of white fur in the passenger's side where he left the, uh, the little pup. But what I want now is for them to, like, test the fur and say, oh, this is no animal that we know. Maybe you got this from like a stuffed animal or something. Maybe it, because, but at the same time, it doesn't really behave like a synthetic fur. And so, yeah, eventually they just have to conclude this is this is an animal that we don't know about yet. Yeah, <laughs> I would really like that. Yeah, that little conclusion there. Yeah, um... Be, but but I also really because you said it uh, a little bit a little bit ago. I really want to latch on to that, uh, too, as, as a bit of a topic, uh, not just for, for this story, but going forward, the I know what I saw moment. I know what I saw. 
Yeah. If you, did you did you, and you did you watched a a bunch of those unsolved mysteries with Robert Stack. Of course. Of course. Uh, with where? By the he way, goes every over... time I'm editing any of the podcasts, that whether it's you and me or me and our other friends, I'm just constantly reminded that I will never sound like Robert Stack. I mean, no, no, no one can. Unfortunately, unfortunately. But, but see, anyway. see, the thing is, with with those uh, uh, episodes, and with especially the uh, uh, unexplained, the UFO portions. They always say, they always say, man, I don't know what happened. And they keep on telling me that I was hallucinating or that I saw something uh, that, that, you know, looked like, you know, just, just something else, you know, enough. Uh, but I know what I saw. I know what I saw. I was there. They weren't. You weren't. But I was, and I know what I saw. I know what that plane looks like. And that was not that plane. I know what a whale looks like, and it was not a whale. I know what this is, uh, or sorry, I know what uh, uh, I know what I saw, and it wasn't anything of this earth, you know. Yeah. And and they say it with such confidence that you say, "Oh well, I mean, if you know what you saw, dude, you know what you saw." I I, I do enjoy that moment of supreme confidence that this person says. No, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know exactly, and I can't prove it, but I know what I saw. And, and it is almost so, you know, I, I hesitate to do this right out of the gate, but the, the ending is also similar to a Lovecraftian ending, where he's saying, I don't know how much time I have. Of course. I've yeah. got more radiation poison than the hospital's ever seen. The government might be after me now. Right. You know, the, I know about the cover, cover up and, you, you know, it's so he's writing this and he doesn't even know if anybody's going to get his message. Of and that's that happens in several um, Lovecraftian or uh, Lovecraft stories uh, where you've got the, uh, you know, German uh, officer at the bottom of the ocean in a submarine running out of air. And he's writing a message and he's going to put it in a bottle. Right. You know? and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's, that's where the story comes from is this message in a bottle. Or you've got the guy writing his last few notes before he jumps out of a window. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was that uh, infamous case of the photographer who went over to, uh, to Mount St. Helens right before it blew. Mm -hmm. And then when Mount St. Helens blew its, its, its side, uh, the pyroclastic flow was coming straight toward that uh, photographer and they decided, all right, this is it. There's no way that I'm gonna you know, survive this, outrun it, et cetera, et cetera. So they just decided take pictures and cover the camera with my own body so that they, they'd be able to save that film. And they actually did, they actually did. We actually got those, those uh, photos. So by the way, thank you for, for, for that. But that was, oh, that's a rough, story that's yeah. that's a rough tale i'd never heard that one well real life we just jumped to real life horror oh yeah yeah we're gonna oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> definitely so like there will be points where i will say things i will reference things that are just yeah this was some scary stuff that was in the story here's a real story that might back some of that up <laughs> that's good that's good yeah but yeah i um i i dig and i think maybe that that first person sort of storytelling is maybe too what sets these apart from like the classic Penny Bloods, 
yeah. that we got our name from, um, many of those still had sort of a narrator telling you the story, and it has characters and a dialogue. Whereas so many of these internet stories, and uh, whether it's on No Sleep or Stay Awake, the Reddit pages, or we've read some from r slash ghost stories. Of course, yes. Those are always told in first person. And that's something that was v very much pioneered by the writers like Poe. Yeah. Um, and, and Lovecraft. And I'd, I'd probably have to put uh, even like Bram Stoker, who wrote the first Dracula of novel in that. Dracula is actually a great novel to compare to a lot of these because the original Dracula, uh, well, I don't, Okay, so it's hard to track down the actual original Dracula, but the guy who wrote it in Great Britain who got it published and popularized, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But he wrote it all through uh, journal entries. So sure. it's first-person journal entries. Sure, sure. It's letters back and forth between fiancés sure, sure. as they're writing to each other. And then towards the end of the book, you actually start to get newspaper clippings. My goodness. So like the, the way that he wrote for the different characters in their own journals, in their own letters... You get a letter from Van Helsing, like the you know the nice, notorious the Van Helsing. But I think I'm. It's been a while since I've actually read the book, but I'm pretty sure that there's some writings of Van Helsing in there. So he's writing as at least three different characters throughout the book, and then he introduces this fourth perspective of just a journalist who you don't know as a character yet, but you're reading the newspaper clippings. Yeah. And so that kind of storytelling started a long time ago, um, but it really I think it has influence the authors that you find on the internet who are writing these things from a first person perspective and then it really puts you into that perspective in a different way than just narrative well and, and i'd imagine uh, if if i'm remembering right uh varney the vampire um the the characteristics of that character i think really contributed a whole lot to what we now know as as vampires including i think Dracula makes sense. Um, yeah, we, I mean, you know, of course, uh, uh, very likely going to get around to Varney the Vampire, you know, eventually. Just love uh, that name. Look, I don't know if I could be scared of a guy named Varney. It's like it's like naming a, a werewolf Steve. You're just like, man, I'm afraid of what he can do to me. But Steve, it's like it's like naming a werewolf Fido. It's Fido, not... yeah, Spot. Hey, Spot. Hey, Rex. <laughs> You just although no that would, that would actually be a nice name for to to give a to, to yeah. Give a yeah, Bob Johnson Bob Bob Johnson exactly he's an accountant by day werewolf by night <laughs> with the light of the full moon now uh, uh, what I do what I do uh, notice just to to go back to this story and and specifically to go to the end where the guy is just resigned to his fate I do enjoy that he seems to be more afraid after everything that's happened and after everything that he, he thinks has happened at least fine after everything he's still very afraid that the government not these creatures <laughs> yeah. is going to take him out he does say don't trust coyotes he does say don't trust coyotes that's true okay fine but these creatures are very obviously not coyotes. <laughs> that is true. I, I, I do feel like I should clarify for any any like big city dwellers, you know, you've never seen a coyote in your life. That's, that's totally fine. Totally fine. 
they don't shape shift. <laughs> <laughs> they do not have white glowing eyes, and they definitely well, do not have saber-like teeth. <laughs> but if you've ever been in the dark and you shine your flashlight sure. or your headlights or whatever, sure. even if it's just a deer. No, definitely. Or, um, you know, bobcats do that. Mountain lions do that. I've seen all those animals in the wild. Oh, of course, of course. And However, there is that reflective eye thing. But you're right. I, it's not I do white. think. Yeah, I do white. think that there is a, 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 a case to be made there. However, there is a part, I think, towards the end where he looks up and I'm assuming that he's still in the cabin of his truck. And mm-hmm. so is the creature. Mm-hmm. And he sees white eyes. That's true. There's That's no true. light reflecting off of that. Those are just glowing white. To which, I mean, if I'm seeing any glowing eyes, it doesn't matter the color. I will evacuate my bowels. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I I will just be like, yeah, that's nice. it. You know what? I had a good run. Uh, did a whole lot of stuff. You know, didn't do everything on my bucket list. But you know what? That's that. That's it. <laughs> you can check off. <laughs> Never mind. Exactly. Yeah, you can, you can check that off right before you go. Yes, there we go. You know what? And with that... Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Penny Blood Podcast. Find us anywhere you get your podcasts. I have been Logan Reed. Until next time. And I have been David Snyder. We thank you for listening, and we hope you had a bloody good time.